Right, well, before we start the podcast, I'm just going to inform Roger, I know I owe him the money, the, the Ribbon of Memes money, uh, from the Ribbon of Memes part, but I've just, I've gambled it all on this being the best episode we've ever produced, so, you know, I know that's going to work out fine, so no problems there, so I know Roger's going to be fine with the whole, with the whole thing. Grams, knuckles cracking. <laughs> it'll be fine it'll be fine don't worry um this is episode 93 of ribbon of memes a podcast where we investigate films previously described by other investor gamblers as masterpieces um oh, now i, I normally being a little, a little unfair there i mean this was in you know 91 percent on rotten tomatoes uh, a whole bunch of critics. Um, it was num- number five included in top ten lists of the year by film critics. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we thought well, we'd give it a try. Well, yeah, we did. We thought we would try an Adam Sandler movie. I'm sorry, Roger. I, th- I feel like I tricked you into it. Um, the, this performance w- was regarded as the best of his career, which, yes, well... <laughs> we are talking about Uncut Gems by the Safdie brothers, Josh Josh and Benny, I think, yeah. Safdie. Um, this is, what year are we in now? 2019. 2019, yeah. Goodness me, we grow closer to the, the dark times that are ahead. Um, uh, and as a prelude to that, <laughs> we watched Uncut, <laughs> Uncut Gems. So this is... Um, uh, oh, I've seen it described as like a two-hour panic attack, which I suppose it's, it's a very frenetically cut, frantic, uh, movie about, um, Howard, Howard Ratner, who is a, um, uh, basically a gambling addict. Um, he's a jeweler. He's, um, he's Jewish. And I mention that mainly because it informs a lot of his character in that he constantly refers to himself as Jewish. Um, and he, uh, owes a lot of money to, I think a cousin? I think it's a cousin. Brother-in-law to his brother-in-law, Arno. Um, and uh, who seems to be involved with some pretty unsavoury character. I think he's a, a bookie. And the thugs he has with him, I suspect they're mafioso or something similar. Is that, I don't know if that's... They are certainly some sort of organised crime. I mean, mm. this, this is the, this is 2019. Organised crime is, is equal opportunity and ethnically uh, mixed and all that good stuff. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and so we follow, um, Howard as he, he owes, um, I think it's about a hundred grand, um, as he goes the through... Start, the, yeah. <laughs> through the course of, uh, two days, I think. Um, uh, trying all manner of um, schemes and plots to earn the money. Ugh. And then he earns the money and then immediately gambles it all away again. <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, okay. So he's... Uh, the, 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 it opens uh, interestingly. So it, we, we're in the... Um, I think it's the Congo. I can't remember where exactly it is in Africa, but somewhere in... Uh, um, Canonica, uh, Ethiopia. The, the Welo uh, mine. Okay. I mean, but, uh, not, I don't Central think, Africa. Yeah, anyway. West Central Africa, probably. But um, it opened with uh, the discovery of a giant uncut gem. Um, Specifically a black opal. A black opal. Um, I, I've got to say, you know, this, this, the film got me on its side. I'm a big fan of opals. Mm. 
it's a, it's an interesting promising start and then we zoom in and i suspect this is like highly thought of but we zoom into the opal into which you're supposed to see the whole universe and gradually sort of um uh appear in howard's colon yeah which i suspect to us was perhaps not the surprise that it would have been to your to your average viewer who has not looked at an endoscopy before no, it's, it's, I'm no stranger to an endoscope, so it wasn't um, particularly upsetting or worrying to me. I'm sure there is a metaphor in there. Um, the, the entire universe an is packed into one. backside, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, um, and then the film kind of basically... Uh, shits on you via Howard for the whole <laughs> for the whole two hours. Um, it's So it's, it's described as a two-hour panic attack because... It does the Robert Altman thing. I am no Robert Altman fan. I thought I was, uh, and then I watched the film of MASH, and then I became a not fan. <laughs> and then we watched, what was it? We watched um, the uh, uh, the Elliot Gould remake of a Marlowe story, The Long Goodbye. It's The yeah. Long Goodbye. And that was one of my least, new least favourite films. Um, and then I've realised they haven't actually enjoyed any film Robert Altman has done. <laughs> hmm. um, he does this, one of his signature trademarks, oh, I suppose the, um, the one with Warren Beatty, um, the, uh, anyway, never mind that one. Um, he does this trademark thing of overlapping dialogue, um, to make it realistic and also make it hard to follow what's going on i mean thankfully i generally watch with subtitles now so i, I didn't really find it hard to um i mean I, altman may, may well have had it as an innovation certainly i i was i was noticing it in tv in i don't know battlestar galactica which was 2004 yeah, yeah it's become a bit of a, a bit like their sort of shaky cam uh it turns out you can still follow a, a, a film and not get motion sickness as long as they keep it down a bit, mm. uh, sort of deliberately bad Campbell work, which I, again... We talked about that a bit when we were looking at uh, Mind Clearance film The Hurt Locker. That's right, and yes. And the, the idea that, you know, everybody has now seen the footage from US at war in the Middle East, and so they're going to at least subconsciously expect that footage of a place that's at war is going to look a bit like that. Yes. And that, that then feeds into this is now a thing we associate with fast moving action and, and so on. And sort of immediacy and being there in the moment and to try and distance you, I guess, from the fact that it's a film. Um, I think in The Hurt Locker, it did feel sort of appropriate, exactly as you say, it sort of fits with it. In a similar way that, you know, Schindler's List is black and white in a way to kind of connect you with the newsreels of the time and to make you realise. And indeed, a lot of the contemporary fiction films. Yes, exactly. Um, I think it works there. Um, uh, this is does this have shaky camera? To be honest, I've stopped noticing. Uh, it probably <laughs> does. I'm pretty sure it does. A bit. No, I mean, um, I, I think it wasn't constant, but yeah. But uh, like shaky cam, I find overlapping dialogue just sort of vaguely irritating <laughs> now. So I wasn't well, really it, it on board. Well, it can work if you've got big contrasts. You know, um, we 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 are having the. Pla- planning the raid or whatever the caper and then we we switch over to somebody else doing something entirely innocent and we're talking in, in similar phrases that that's yes. that's the thing that can work to make the point yeah, yeah we we are really doing some of the things here even though you know, one of them is very legal and the other one is very not yes um but i didn't feel there was a point to it cuz yeah i well every, everybody I, I... is trying to screw everybody else basically well, actually, a... no, that's, that's not fair. Howard is trying to screw everybody. Basically, everybody else Howard... just wants what Howard owes them. 
yeah, um, Howard is, um, okay, well, let's focus on Howard a minute because he's, he's really what makes or breaks the film. So we spend the whole time with him. Yeah. Um, there may be some scenes that he's not in, but to be honest, he's our, uh, he's our, um, he's our guy. He's our guide to this world. And also he's the, he is very much the protagonist. You know, we talked about, um, Roma, uh, recently, where we had a protagonist who really did not have a lot of agency, um, and didn't really drive the plot particularly, um, and we spoke about why that was, uh, perhaps less satisfying to us. Well, here we have Howard who is constantly, not always successfully, and not entirely predictably, but he is driving the plot, he's pushing it along, he's doing everything he can in every situation to find his advantage. Hmm. Um, he so he reminds theory, me of very, very much the classic salesman stereotype. You know, everything is about getting the deal, and if I beat you in a deal, you are supposed to admit that I'm the better man and, and, and you know, slap me on the back and say, ha-ha, you won. Yes, he's like um, Glenn Gary, Glenn... Uh, Glengarry Glen Ross's dream, they have the ABC always be closing. I'm, you know, I was thinking know. more of the Donald Trump, but yeah. Exactly, but exactly. Yeah, it's all about the deal and always be working on that deal. Um, uh, and uh, I, I guess the chief problem I have with the film is that I just don't like Howard, hmm. I'm afraid. I, I just don't I, I, I've him. always hated that salesman type as the moment they try it on me. Yes, which they yeah. always do because it's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what they always do all the time. I mean, okay, so originally this was going to be cast by Jonah Hill. Um, mm. Have we had I, Jonah Hill on Ribbon of Memes? I, I don't, don't know, but I've seen him so. in a few things. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not very familiar with his work, but uh, I, I remember uh, people being very shocked when he was um, nominated for for an Oscar. Uh, <laughs> He's, well, I, but, I don't... But, you know, dis- similarly, you know, so, somebody who's, who is known as a comedian. Yes. Um, and we, we, we've talked, have we talked before? It's certainly something I've talked about before. I just can't remember whether it was here. Very often, when you get a comedian and say, right, I want you to play this straight, they can do something utterly amazing. Uh, I think we have touched upon it, but if not, I, I agree. I do find uh, one of the... Most important aspects of being a comedian, I think, is actually being quite smart and switched on and socially aware for the most part. And, and I think, um, who was it? Is it Mel Brooks? I can't remember. Um, they were asking him, uh, or maybe it was Billy Wilder. They were asking him about how he felt about dying. And he was like, dying, dying's easy. Comedy, that's hard. (laughs) (laughs) If you can do, if you can do comedy, you're probably pretty well set up to be a straight actor as well. There's certainly many examples of, ostensibly comedians being good actors and i'm not i'm not disputing that this is a it is definitely a a performance very different to other adam sandler performances not that i've seen that many because frankly as a comedian i find him quite irritating i haven't seen any so (laughs) um yeah so i mean this this is a thing that we we've mentioned in passing before because i i feel that there is a there is a um attention here because on the one hand looking at the safties other films um they they've basically you know they, they, there's a strong um you know gangster crime gritty mm. sort of emphasis there um and we looked at we we we've seen one or two films which which are basically 
crime films, and they, they manage to get by without having a whole lot of sympathetic characters. I suppose the one that springs to mind that we've watched for a ribbon of memes is Reservoir Dogs. You yeah. know, none of those are particularly uh, sympathetic characters, um, but you you get to care about them, if not actually like them. Uh, Goodfellas, um, for that matter. Goodfellas, actually, that's probably a better example. You know, Henry Hill is a similar sort of character. Um, I mean, he's, he, he's, he's, he's sympathetic in some respects, but he is basically, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you and also similar to Howard, you kind of ultimately know um, that Harry is going to be, uh, you know, the engine of his own destruction. He, he is going to be um, his own worst enemy. But there's something captivating about Ray Liotta's performance in Goodfellas um, mm. and the whole world of that that carries you along and keeps you interested to the point where you want to know what happens. You are kind of sad when uh, when he uh, when he gets his comeuppance but not too sad because <laughs> he does <laughs> deserve it but uh, he's still sympathetic in the way that you want to watch him um and, and, and also thought... we get an idea of here is here is why this guy is the way he is i mean he's not a nice guy but here is here is how he can sleep at night yeah and he does have some sort of he does have some sort of moral code i mean it's not it's not much of one, and it's pretty <laughs> reprehensible, but it's, you know, it's better. I suppose in some ways, the other thing about Goodfellas is Harry, uh, difficult character though he is, he's surrounded by people that are even worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Howard isn't really, for the most part. <laughs> yeah. How, I mean, Howard is a difficult character to like, because exactly, I hate his shtick. Um, and and I don't enjoy spending... He is a man who seems to take no pleasure out of life, except the brief moments when he has absolutely risked everything and the brief moments when he thinks he's succeeded. But even that is just an ephemeral moment that vanishes into the wind almost straight away. Which, to be fair, it is. I mean, that that is one of the problems with compulsive gambling. Yes, it may be an interesting study on gambling addiction, uh, much as... Um, Not that anybody here realises that that's his problem. Well, I mean, yes, I, I, you you kind of work it out through the film. Mm. You're, you're sort of dropped in halfway through it, or towards the end of his life, as it turns out. <laughs> but you're dropped in to oh, his spoilers, life. by the way. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, we have spoilers here. But, it, uh, well, anyway, um, uh, it was pretty clear to me where this was going pretty early on in the film. Mm. Um, I want to talk about sort of tragedy as well um, and comedy, um, Mm. both of which this film sort of purports to be. Um, But yeah, it's pretty clear as it, as it comes through the film and as he, a number of opportunities for him to actually get out of the situation he's in crop up and he, uh, he, he he fucks them up. Basically (laughs) he tries again or he tries to win bigger. Um, Yeah. The, the, the way I see it, he, he takes, a a win, a success of any kind, as evidence that he was doing it right, and so he does it yes. again. Yes, and that's it, and, it's and an so, interesting... so when he's down, when he's lost, um, he takes that as evidence that he was doing something wrong. So, or rather, he 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 doesn't know what's going on there, but he he's in trouble, so he has to do the thing again anyway, because that's how exactly. he gets more money. He doesn't have any better plans. He's just always grifting, and uh, you know when you have friends. Uh, uh, who are addicts and you try and help them and you try uh of various kinds 
and but ultimately you just find it too there are situations where you can just find it too toxic to spend time with them because you just see them doing the same thing again and again and again. Yeah, um, I mean, and ad- addicts, I'm, I'm sure, you, sure you're as well aware of this as I am, uh, is, is a not easy to define term. No. But to, to me, one of the key things is that everything else, you know, friendships, promises, whatever, will be subordinated to uh, got to get more of the thing. Yes, yeah, and, and meanwhile, the the thing that you're addicted to gives you uh, less and less rewards and diminishing returns. Um, and you know, physiologically, that's true of um, opiates and things like that. But it, it, I think it is fair to say with a lot of other addictions too. Hmm. Yeah, um, well, I mean, we can get into the neurochemistry and the whole dopamine hit thing. But yeah, basically, there, there are some mechanisms that themselves are subject to habituation. Yes, so. which lead to sort of increased desperation and more and more risk-taking so you know uh it's in a way this is a cautionary tale about gambling addiction yeah though to be fair you know nobody in this no character in the film recognizes what's going on and tries to help him no you have to sort of work it out for you we we, we can see it as outsiders because we're watching him all the time but there is there isn't really anybody else who sees him all the time so yeah no um and i well so the the film has the structure of a tragedy um and what i mean by that is that you know in the literal sort of greek sense of you see the the train coming down the line your your character is on the train lines and they are trying not to get hit by the train mm. and i suppose that the structure of a a true classic tragedy is that you spend the whole time desperately hoping for the character not to get hit by the train. You're really, there are moments when you think they won't, but at the end of the film, the train gets them. Or something else gets them. Um, I think particularly, if, if you're talking about the classical Greek approach, um, it is also that, that the, the failure, the disaster, whatever, is brought on by the character's own characteristics, that you know, they're, they're being themselves too much. Yes. Rather than, oh, you know, I tripped, I tripped and fell off a skyscraper or whatever. Exactly. Yes. They're not a, a victim, uh, in, uh, that, yeah. And, and that, that I think is true themselves. here because all, all the trouble that Howard has, has got into, he has got himself into. Well, it's pretty clear that this is not an atypical day for Howard, except for the amount of trouble he's got into. Um, uh, but he spent his whole life doing this sort of thing, and the reason people are a bit worn down and less generous with him is because he's done this to them before and he's fucked them over before. And when he gets screwed over by people, he's absolutely horrified and offended in a way that is very clear that you know he's done it to them before, and so he absolutely deserves it. Um, not that, yeah, you know, a lot of people are quite generous with him, like his father-in-law, mm. um, when he forces him to bid up and buy the opal, you know, his father-in-law does give him back the opal, despite being quite within his rights just to drive off with it. Um, yeah. The the problem with tragedy, and, you know, some of my favourite films, I don't dislike the form. Um, I suppose my one of my favourite filmic representations of it would be Carlito's Way, which is Al, Al Pacino. It starts the film, you know he's dying. Um, and mm. then you see how he gets into that state. So, you know, him do- in on, on his deathbed <coughs> is the train oncoming, and he spends the whole film in situations that you can see are dangerous, you worry that's going to be the... But he's a very characteristic character, he's deeply moral, he's got... And you... 
you spend the whole film wanting him to avoid that situation. Mm. And, sorry, spoilers for Carlito's way here, um, you know, just when you think he's avoided the situation, the, the film does a bait and switch, which is quite common in tragedy. He avoids the situation you think is going to put him on the deathbed and jump straight into a different one, which is the one that actually uh, ends up killing him. Mm. Um, which is, um, it's the same pretty much the same structure as the story here Howard, um, you think he's going to be in trouble he he gets the money he loses it again, you think for sure he's actually going to do it then he wins huge amount he wins like over a million dollars at the end um, but still meets his end because he pissed off a mafioso um, who shoots him in the face um, Yeah, which alright, maybe we've seen more mafia films than he has uh, <laughs> he, 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 I mean the the feeling I got is you know, he's constantly acting the part of the big powerful man, which which yes. we might have we might model in the sense of you know fake it till you make it and that's just the way he the way he's learned to live. Um, but very few people fall for it. Um, yeah, his father, get... father-in-law Gooey, maybe, uh, as as he said with, with where he says, okay, you know, I've, I, I've just bid to try to force up the value of this opal for you. And nobody else fell for it, so I've actually got stuck with paying for the damn thing. Yeah, but even with him, you get the sense, I've been here before, you've done this to me before, Howard. Why? And it's really just that he's obliged to help him out rather than he's fallen for it. But with one um, exception, I think basically everybody else he meets is, is burned out on him and is, is so fed up with this thing. Yes, we'll talk about um, oh, it. I guess that's Julia Fox's character. Yeah, which, which is, um, yeah, there's a lot to say there, I think. But yeah. But, I, I yeah, it, everybody fun. else is basically we we put up with this guy because he can get us the thing we want, you know, the the the, the, the tacky jewelry, whatever. Mm. But that no nobody likes him. Well, this is my including I, all, all right, me. I, I, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And this is my problem with the the tragedy form of it is that for tragedy to work, you've got to be rooting for the character. And I was so irritated by his patter, his nonsense, his amorality, his utter failure to give a shit about anyone but himself and actually not treat himself very well either that I was quite hoping he would get shot. It just took <laughs> about an hour and a half longer than I was hoping it would. I could see it out and so that as a tragedy it just fails for me because where I should be thinking oh, he's going to make it this way, he's going to make it How, how thinking, sad it is that he is shot after all No. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm not thinking oh he's going to make it, I'm just thinking when is this film going to end and so as a tragedy it fails and I suppose the other, the flip side of the coin. This is also thought of as a comedy. Now, I did try and find the difference between a tragedy and a comedy, um, and found another Mel Brooks quote, which is, um, uh, "I cut my finger on some paper. That's a tragedy. I watch you fall down a hole into an open sewer and drown. That's comedy." And I, I guess mm-hmm. the point is, comedy happens to someone you, you don't care about so much. Tragedy happens to someone you do. So maybe by that rationale this is a comedy that, that that may be i mean one of the problems i have with, with comedy i think think i've mentioned this this probably before as well is that a, a lot of comedy i won't say all of it takes the form mm. of here is the guy who is the victim the the, the yes. guy who is wrong so now, now now watch him doing something wrong and you laugh at him because he's doing something wrong and i can very easily see myself as the guy who everybody else has decided is is the victim well, that, in a way, that's the same. That style of comedy, at least, is very close to tragedy. This is a guy, or this is a person, 
who is bringing all of this on themselves. Basil Fawlty, he, he creates these situations all by himself, Blackadder, for the most part. Um, oh, I, I've got an example there. I, I went to a lecture many years ago by Anthony Jay, one of the writers of Yes, yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister, among other things. Yes. And he gave us an example, one of the Dr. Sin films. And the, the basic setup, yeah, we're, we're, we're smugglers on the, on the south coast of England. Um, Dr. Sin is, well, arguably a good guy, arguably a bad guy, but he is one of the smugglers. Right. And he, he has various locals on his side. And then, then you get, you know, the, the brave young customs man comes to try to sort the, so, so we've got this scene where, where the customs man is explaining all the things he has found out to, I think it's the, the local magistrate. And we know that the local magistrate is in with the smugglers and, and the customs man is, is digging his own grave almost literally. Okay. And it's a very dramatic, powerful scene. Yes. And uh, now you picture that guy played by Basil Fawlty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, there's, it's a very fine line between it. Um, I, I suppose a similar scene is one of our favourite scenes in um, Ribbon of Memes, which is from Fargo, where the cop pulls the the two we know uh, criminals over, Steve Buscemi and um, Peter um, uh, Stavare. Um uh, and it's just one of the most dramatic tense scene. It starts mm. off as a comedic scene with Steve Buscemi absolutely failing to convince this cop, trying to bribe him, just turns dark at the flick of a switch with mm. Peter Stavari just shooting him through the head. Um, and uh, it's just masterfully done. Uh, and it's interesting. I, but you still, you kind of care about it. You care what's going to happen. Um, here, I... I think I just disliked Howard so much that I could not care less what happened to him. And I was very happy. My favourite scene in the film was when his wife, um, uh, Adina Menzel, I think, plays her. Um, yeah. It, yeah, that was a surprise to me because um, I know her mainly from Frozen. But the, the yes, scene but, but where... also a lovely person. And, and she's... Yes, he's... And the, we, we've got a sort of sort of uh, split on this because the, I think the film is trying to show her as a Harridan, but she just really isn't. I, I she has these perfectly reasonable objections to the guy. <laughs> she does, and she, you know, she has the greatest put down. She's like, you are the most irritating man I've ever met. I find your face annoying. I don't ever want to see you again. Um, when he tries to rescue his marriage, and I just, um, I was just with her. I wanted to see the film with her in, basically, mm. because, um, and that's the, the fundamental flaw and failure of the film to me is, not, I, it wasn't just that I didn't care about how I actively disliked him and didn't want yeah. to be watching him. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, this, this film got a huge amount of accolade, uh, and on the sort of limited run, I believe, it, it, the audience scores were all A plus or whatever, but on the wider, as soon as it was released to wider audiences, those audience scores dropped to like C's or twos or a lot of people strongly disliked either the style of the film or Howard. And I, I count myself amongst them in both of them. I, I didn't like the frenetic pace. Um, I didn't find the dialogue. It, it, it was the company's highest domestic grossing film. Until okay. everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> well, they've done. Oh, that's a good. Um, anyway, that's uh, for another time. Um, uh, I just, um, I, uh, yeah, I don't know what more to say about Howard. Um, should we talk about um, Julia Fox's? Yeah, because again, it's it's a bit of a split thing. I mean, ha Howard, 
well, in insofar as Howard has a theory of mind at all, which which I have my doubts about. <laughs> He 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 regards her. I, I think he regards her as basically one of his possessions. He certainly behaves as if he does. And the, the, it, she is his employee. Um, she is also his mistress. Yes. Uh, and okay, but yeah. The 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 again. The, the script treats the whole thing as if she is just completely in love with Howard. Yes. And being a little bit sensitive to that kind of thing, I, I just thought, hang on, is there actually any moment when she is in any way in love with Howard, as opposed to hoping she will get a nice expensive present from Howard? It's I I felt the same in that I couldn't... The, the film, yes, is written that she is absolutely devoted to him. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure it is, that's the thing. I mean, you can read it that way. But I don't think the film is saying this is definitely the case. Well, she. I think the reason I find it hard to believe is because I can't believe anyone would feel that way about this guy, particularly not someone as lovely as her. Um, I, I mean, she is. She she does seem. You know, even when he has treated her pretty badly, um, uh, told her to get out of his apartment. Um, uh, she comes and gives him, you know, comfort in his moment of crisis uh, mm. because she's a nice person. Uh, yes, maybe she's doing that to try and get back to, her, and perhaps she is. But I don't. I, I read it more that she genuinely is devoted to him. She takes risks for him. She she's also. Uh, I I wonder if she's sort of a gambling addict by proxy. She gets caught up in his excitement and actually is mm. one of the few people, if not the only person in the film. Who seems to actually believe it's bullshit that you know there is a better tomorrow coming and there is a, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and she's excited by that and she trusts. Maybe, him. maybe she just hasn't known him long enough. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, um, and she, and he's right, you know, and she gets rewarded for that trust. I don't know if the film's trying to say anything about that particularly. I think it's just a a funny circumstance. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I, she's an interesting character. She's well played. I just, I'm not, I'm not sure she's well written, but I think the acting tries to make it a bit more subtle than the script really supports. And uh, th- th- this, this is actually um, Julia Fox's feature film debut. Yeah, which is a surprise. In some ways, maybe she plays the character too smart <laughs> because she behaves not very intelligently in a way, but she doesn't seem that way. You know, she's. Uh, so in other stuff, um, she's been in an erotic drama as a cam girl. Uh, she's been in No Sudden Move, Steven Soderbergh period crime thriller, okay. uh, which I haven't seen. She's a fairly minor role in that. And she's been in Puppet, which is so obscure that it doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. So. Well, that's unfair because she, she, I, I think she's pretty standout here. Maybe because yeah, she's- I mean, I, I would like to see her with with a better script to work with. In fact, it's funny that the the people we were most impressed with, both of us, I guess, were, you know, Adina Mazel, Amentel, and Julia Fox. We we liked both their characters, and we liked them. And all the posturing and alpha male bullshit is just of no interest to us. Um, I yeah, I I found it. I found well, it you know, over. obvious, obviously, um, tr- truly manly men like us don't don't have to uh, mess around with any of that well, stuff. We, or, we don't or need or to display. validate it. <laughs> grunt, I mean, grunt, I, I, uh, I wonder. Um, I wonder if. Uh, I I think you're meant to find Howard 
likable despite himself. You, you know, you're meant to find a charm there. And yeah. some of the reviews say, you know, it, Adam Sandler is incapable of playing a character that you don't like. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's, for you maybe, but that's not true of me. I mean, certainly there, there have been comedies in which the basic, as you say, you know, somebody is digging himself deeper and deeper into a hole. And this is funny, but it doesn't really work for me anyway, that that particular style. But I, I, I think possibly to some extent it can for you. I mean, you, you, you've talked yes, about that. Uh, yeah. But your site didn't, didn't really work there either. So. I, I am, uh, I know uh, comedy, of, comedy of embarrassment really doesn't work for a lot of people. I, I do, you know, I love Alan Partridge. I, I like Ricky Gervais in the office for my sin. So I, it does work for me, these these schlubs who are just failures and just make themselves worse and worse uh but i don't know something about the past of the character it's just there's no to me there's no warmth to him there's no redeeming features he's he as i've said before he's selfish he doesn't care about the people around him doesn't really care about himself or he, he just he takes risks that suggest that he doesn't he puts his gambling above his kids um I, I don't think he would argue if you said that what he was interested in was the was the visible symbols for keeping score of how much he's won. Yeah, yeah, that seems to be it, and that's. But then he would crow about it, and um... there, there was a scene early on. Um, so he, his his partner, who is effectively the roper in con artist language, the, the guy who brings in the wealthy clients, yes, um, ha, has brought in um, Kevin Garnett, a professional basketball player, real guy, um, apparently. I, I don't know basketball. I don't know American sports. But anyway, yeah, a, a, a very rich person who, who is yes. who is a professional basketball player, um, and the stuff he's showing him is just tat. It's tacky. The the extreme example of this is the sort of Furby thing with the big eyes, and it's got the lever on the back, so so the eyes go back and forth, and it's all covered with jewels. The blinged up Furby, yes. and it seems to me that possibly I'm reading this wrong, but that that. It, it, Unless you were very stupid indeed, you could not sell that to people you didn't have contempt for. Yes, there's a touch of the sort of the Dell boy to him that he knows what he's selling is crap, um, but he it doesn't it doesn't upset him or where you know. But Dell boy had a, a, a large amount of charm as well. I, um, whew, I agree <laughs> with you. He's he's got contempt for his customers. He's got contempt for the women in his life. He's got contempt for his children. Oh, he does seem to care a bit about his children, except that well, no, he doesn't. No, I tell her, like, you know, the whole time he gets to spend time with his children, he's checking gambling scores and texting, and um, it's just a thoroughly unpleasant character. And, and I felt, in the performance, uh, good though it was, in that I'm sure this is a performance of a certain time of person mm. who is not like Adam Sandler's other Characters. I mean, my experience of him in comedy is kind of a sub Jim Carrey. Am I allowed to say that? In that he's got he does the same sort of shtick, only more irritatingly to me. And I don't particularly like Jim Carrey's shtick. Uh, Jim Carrey again, another character um, comedy actor who can work do perfectly good. In fact, really good dramatic performances. Hmm. Um, uh, but I don't. It just doesn't work for me on any any level, and so you know the shock at the end when he gets shot through the face. I was I was just I was just waiting for from about halfway through the film, and the only reason I knew it was coming up then was because the film was about to end, and I knew it was going to yeah. end in that way. Um, 
I mean, the, the, this does. He kind of sums up, I think, what the audience has been feeling, which is, uh, as, yeah, he, he's basically he, he is he has sent away his girlfriend with the, the cash that he temporarily has to put on a really huge bet. Yeah. Um, and then, in order not to get beaten up by by the goons, he traps them in in the double security door of his shop. Yes. Um, while he waits for the bet to pay off, and that, that, presumably that's bulletproof glass, is it? Did that get mentioned? I'd sort of I mean, I kind of assumed. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that, then he wins, and that, then he lets them out because, as far as he's concerned, he's won. So everybody loves him now. Yeah. Um, and the the, the chief goon is, is is just seriously pissed off with him. I, I don't care if you've got the money; I'm going to shoot you now, and he does. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I absolutely sympathised with him at that point, but I think if you could, you could also say this: this is the tragedy. If if he had been, you know, maybe if he'd been crowing a little less, if he'd been yeah. saying, "Look, guys, this is my last chance. If I screw up, you're going to kill me anyway." Yes, if he had been anyone other than Howard. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> uh, but then we have this weird sort of closing shot um, of him sort of smiling. Because I, I, his experience of dying would have been almost nothing, I guess. It's almost instantly mm-hmm. that he dies, um, or inst- as, as instantly as you get. And so he's kind of still in mid, yay, I won. And so we get this kind of frozen grin on his corpse. And I, in there we, I don't know. I, I was also get the, getting the feeling that the film was, was trying to suggest, oh, you know, this, this saint, how sad it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, I think it's supposed to tug at the heartstrings a bit. It didn't for me, and then we pass through it back into the, the black opal, and the film ends. And I'm I'm very grateful. And, and I ask, <laughs> how, how 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 did this make two hours and fifteen minutes? Oh, is that how long it was? Yeah, felt longer. Felt <laughs> longer. Um, it didn't work for me. I can. Um, did it have any redeeming qualities? Are there any things that it did? Was it? Uh, were you? Did you admire any part of it? Well, I actually kind of liked the score. I would have liked it better on a different film because it really didn't set the mood for this film. No, um, no. But, but it's electronic music score. Daniel Lopatin. I don't know. If that's how you pronounce him. Um, I, I rather enjoyed it. Okay. Well, there we go. You like the music, but. Yeah, uh, I can sort of see some of the things it's trying to do, but it is just so grating in the moment to moment that I don't think yeah. it ever really had a chance with me to, to achieve those things. I think that's it for me. So, some films, you know you're in good hands. Right? I, I remember sort of in the, the beginning of The Pianist thinking, oh, this is going to be, I'm in safe hands here, I can relax and enjoy it. Um, it turns out I didn't enjoy The Pianist, but, <laughs> you know, it was, it was a very good film. Um, this just from the moment it started, it was, it was very clear where it was going to go and how it was going to be. And I could predict the next two hours stretching ahead of me. Um, I just, I, I feel like it wasn't, was it innovative? I don't know. I I don't know that any individual aspect was innovative in itself. The plot was, to me, basic tragedy plot. Um, we've seen characters like that before. We've seen films like uh, artwork. Like maybe the difference is you, it never really lets up. It's just constantly he's in a he's in a room and he's going to make it uh, a tense, anxious room for everyone, including the audience. I don't particularly enjoy. 
I know a lot of people say I don't like horror films, I don't like being scared. Um, I I do, but this for me was like, this is an anxiety film. I don't mm. particularly enjoy the feeling of anxiety, and so if that's what it's... Gener- except if, if you're going to get anything from it, I think that's probably what it is, yeah. I suppose so. Uh, though, frankly, it didn't really cause anxiety in me, because I gave zero shits about what happened. <laughs> um, so the, the anxiety wasn't there so much. Um, but uh, if it did... Well, maybe I would be into a film that got me tense and on edge the whole time. In fact, I'm sure I would be. But it didn't work for me because you've got to care about the character. It's it, it's almost like watching, you know, the the latest Bond film where he jumps out the back of a plane and parachutes onto another plane. Or so. You stop caring because it's, it's beyond human capabilities and mm. now you don't believe it and so... You're not interested. Yeah, the the thing that always gets that for me is inertia. You know, some somebody's swinging on a rope and they slam hard into the side of a building. No, at this point, I'm sorry, you're now unconscious and probably dead. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Humans, to a first approximation, behave like liquid when they hit things. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, okay, I mean, if, if I were a fanfic writer, I would write a fixfic in which, you know, um, Julia and Dinah meet, meet at the ex-partners of dead assholes, anonymous. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, well, they were, so, the redeeming quality, I, I don't know about the writing, and maybe it just reflects a culture and a lifestyle that is utterly alien to us, but I do feel like we've tried to experience a lot of different cultures and lifestyles in Ribbon of Memes and not found them all. Yeah, I mean, you, you could argue that we're not the target audience for this, and, and if you, if you are going to argue that, oh boy, wait till you hear the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, Though you could argue that would be a wrong argument. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that um, next episode. I I haven't got much more to say about um, Uncut Gems. I didn't like it. It may be my new least favourite film. Though I think Mulholland Drive upset me more. <laughs> because Mulholland Drive yeah. thought it was really clever and I disagreed with it. Um this was on a par to me with them. Um, Mulholland Drive, I, I think, had it, had some interesting moments in it, and it was mm. annoying overall because it didn't mean anything. But I liked some of those moments, some of those scenes. Yeah, all right, fair point. There were, there were individual moments when you weren't thinking, I hate this film. <laughs> 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 Which I can't think of any offhand in, in Uncut Gems. It's on a par for me with um, Raging Bull. A, a deep character study of someone who I don't like and don't want to know. Mm. Um, it may be a very good character study. Yeah, but I don't uh, I, I don't think I'm at risk of being Howard. I have many, many flaws, um, uh, but not Howard's flaws, so this doesn't teach me a lot about that. Well, look, oh, maybe I do. Oh, I be worried now, <laughs> <I>? <laughs> anyway, uh, no, not a masterpiece for me. I don't think it was particularly innovative. It wasn't likeable. It didn't produce any emotional reaction in me except relief when it finished. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. It we was worth it. a try. Yeah. You can't say we don't try it. And if that's Adam Sandler's best performance, I don't need to see another <laughs> Adam Sandler film ever. I was about to say, now you can never watch it. Now you don't have to watch another Adam Sandler film. So, <laughs> uh, you, you're welcome. So, uh, at the cinema. It's 2019 in film. Yeah, so the big winner at the Academy Awards is Parasite, which gets a picture and director. Oh, I've seen that. That's very good. And original screenplay. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was all we thought about for this. And it, it's, it's, it may well be what we come back to. 
it's one I'd seen before, which is why I sort of vetoed it. But it is a very good film. Uh, so, let's see, three awards go to 1917. Oh yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're all minor awards. We didn't feel desperately enthusiastic, did we, about that? Well, I I think both of us are role players. Both of us role play in historical periods. I think we're both reasonably familiar with the the the, the crap that actually happened during the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be a surprise to us. And uh, we 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 have, I I think, got beyond the whole lions led by donkeys thing. And yeah, it's it's more sophisticated and subtle than that, but. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. Exactly. Yes. It, it's not the Blankadder view of history, but um, uh, yeah, I don't think. I, I think we wanted to try something out of our comfort zone, and, and yes, we did. <laughs> so it, it is not, I think, significantly expanded our comfort zone. Um, so t- <laughs> two awards each: uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which various people said good things about it. It okay. doesn't grab me, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm not a petrol head. Is that a documentary? Do you know we haven't had a documentary on Ruben of Memes? Yeah, it's true, we haven't. This is more a uh, biographical sports drama. Oh, okay. okay. A, a, a fictionalised version of. Oh, um, well, we've had a few of those. Also two awards to Joker, uh, which, well, I mean, we just had a film celebrating the villain. So. We have, I feel like it, it, everything I've seen of it suggests it's like a Martin Scorsese, specifically it's Taxi Driver done again. and With, with, with bonus MRA slash incel slash, yeah. Yeah, so I, I probably will watch it at some point, but I'm not, don't feel like in a big hurry. Uh, that, that got, that uh, got Oscars for Joaquin Phoenix as best actor. And uh, I think the, the, it got best original score. Probably rightly so. He's a very good actor, that chap. Uh, and also too for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I've seen that too. Um, in- including I, uh, Brad's, Brad Pitt supporting actor and that. I rather like that as well. Um, I do like a Tarantino. I, I, th- well. I think I may have vetoed that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'd seen it before. In fact, I've seen it twice for some reason. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's only absolute veto if we've both seen it before. But yeah. Yes. Uh, so. Uh, also, um, let's see, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is getting nomin- uh, three nominations. Oh, yeah, I've seen that before. Oh, no, wait, I've seen Return of the Jedi before. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, so, at the box office, uh, number 10, Jumanji The Next Level. Uh, uh, I, I think, think I've seen the, that one. Fourth instalment overall, so number three of the new series. Oh, is it? In that case, I haven't seen that one. I've seen the one, I've seen the second of the new series, and that wasn't as good as, anyway, they're alright. Or that one, those two were, I don't know about this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a great fan of Karen Gillan after her turn on Doctor Who, but yeah. Uh, she's, uh, yeah. She's she may be, she may be better in other things, yeah. Hmm. Uh, so at number nine, the Aladdin remake, the Guy Ritchie Aladdin. Which you think would Guy make it watchable Aladdin. All, all on its own, but it really... What? <laughs> the Guy Ritchie... Was this the Disney Aladdin? Yeah. And he directed it? Yeah. With Will Smith as the genie, is that the one? Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, well I've and, seen it. And it, it and made it is... lots and lots of money. I've seen it because the kids watch it and it is, it's just the same as the animated version, so I don't know where Guy Ritchie... Except it's weird because it's not animated. <laughs> anyway, 
Well, my, my general feeling is, why do they keep making these live-action remakes of, of the animated films when the animated films are still there? And the answer is because people will pay over a billion dollars to watch okay. them in the cinema. So, the yeah. fact that we're talking about it in the top ten probably answers your question. Yeah. Uh, so, number eight, Toy Story 4, which we'll certainly be coming back to. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Uh-huh. Uh, number six, Joker, which I think is our first joint top ten and Oscar winner okay. in, in this year. Uh, number five, Captain Marvel, which I've, I've heard good things about it, but yeah, it, it's another of the superhero slab. It's the less essential one to watch. It's, not, <laughs> it's quite good, though. Uh, number four, Spider-Man Far From Home. That's very good. I, uh, the, do you know what? These, these superheroes, the Marvel films, are all a certain level of quality, or they were until recently. And so you, you know you're <laughs> going to enjoy them. And much like apparently the new Dungeons and Dragons film is basically just follows that Marvel mould of you're going to have a good time, just enjoy it, just enjoy it, don't worry about it. Yeah, they they, they credit the creators of Dungeons and Dragons, Hasbro. Oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, number three, Frozen. Oh, okay, so Sorry, Frozen Two. <laughs> uh, Frozen which Two, which you may have seen having children. Um, may have seen <laughs> there's some parts of my life where I haven't been watching Frozen 2 that would be quicker to t- <laughs> is, is it any good I mean it is good yeah uh, considering I've watched it 837,000 million times then it's, it's um, part, right. parts of the original I thought were pretty good other parts were a bit rubbish so yeah fair enough uh, yeah uh, no, the, number two one of your favourites the live action remake Lion King that's so weird. Pseudo live why action anyone, remake. Why would anyone do that? It's just weird to watch a photorealistic animal acting like the Lion King characters. I don't get it. What's the point? <laughs> and at number one, Avengers Endgame. Uh, that's that's very good, actually. That is, they should have stopped there because that is a, a really good finale for a lot of films. And yeah, I'll, I won't, I'm not a huge fanboy for Marvel, particularly. Um, but I do, I do. That was a very good film. Uh, Passing mentions from Marianne's uh, favourites of the year for Jojo Rabbit, which I know you've seen and is is on my list, and Knives Out, which I will definitely be watching and we we may revisit on this at some point, or most certainly will revisit on this at some point. I, yes, I, you're, you're, I'm not a fan of murder mystery in the way that you are, but um, I really enjoy Knives Out. Um, If nothing else for Daniel Craig's accent. Um, <laughs> it's very good, yeah. I'd strongly recommend it and its sequel, which is just as good. Yep. Not, so, it's not the name of, but it's it's on Netflix. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that that's Uncut Gems. Oh, oh, yeah, I forgot we were talking about that. <laughs> I was so relieved. <laughs> so relieved. Um, I'm sorry to tell you, Roger, uh, I, I gambled all the winning, the, the ribbon of Weems winnings, winnings, because we make so much money. Um, uh, and I've lost it all. Oh, that's alright, I cancelled, cancelled your bet because it was money you owed me anyway. What are you talking about? Why would you do that? <laughs> I am now, just to clarify, I'm not getting in the boot of anyone's car naked at this point. Well, that's what you think. <laughs> okay. Alright, let's end it then. <laughs>